Welcome to Golden Beer Talks. Good evening. It is always a good night at Beer Talks, but it is a really special night tonight. We are having our fifth anniversary this evening. We have on tap our very same beer that we had the first time we had a beer talk. And the same meal that we had on our very first night as well. So we want to start with a big hand for the folks at here at the Windy Saddle who are serving up the jambalaya. Along with our anniversary comes that of the brewery that we are featuring tonight. So Golden City's at 25. Very nice. Charlie and Jan are in the house, so we can thank the Sturdivants right now for that awesome beer. We also want to thank GoldenToday.com for always promoting our events and being a huge contributor to our entire community. If you haven't been to GoldenToday.com and signed up for their lists, and if you care about Golden, it's a good idea to do it, and they'll send you something fun every day about this town you love. We're going to get started, and we have a lot of excitement, starting with our beer ambassador, who's going to come up and talk a little bit about Golden City, and then brace yourselves. We're going to have our very special auction that we have once a year as well. So don't go anywhere. Come on up, Ambassador. Frank Blaha. Hello, everyone, and thank you for coming to the fifth Golden Beer Talks, or fifth anniversary of Golden Beer Talks. And I'm um, uh, not totally right, Whitney. We have the same brewery. And I'll bet the red ale is one of the same beers. But I think that for the very first one, I think we might have gone with the Lookout Stout and the red ale. But I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't go back and look at the records. But Golden City Brewery was definitely our first brewery. And thank you very much for your support through all these years. And congratulations on the 25th anniversary. And Charlie and Janine Sturdivant are the owners at Golden City. Owners, runners, they're the important people over there, other than the customers. So tonight we've got Legendary Red Ale, which just won a gold medal at the Great American Beer Festival about two weeks ago. And it was the first time Derek, um, so Charlie's son Derek is the chief brewer right now, and it was the first time he entered a beer at the Great American Beer Festival. His first year as head brewer. First year as head brewer, first year at the Great American Beer Festival, and won a gold medal. So, And so the, the legendary red ale is, is a nice, uh, slightly malty beer, kind of medium body, nice, brilliant red color, uh, about 5.4% alcohol and 31 IBUs. Uh, very nice beer, and won a gold medal. And it's won some uh, awards in the past as well, but it's slightly different, this particular uh, batch. And then we have a Firefly New England IPA. And um, New England IPAs were just recognized this spring by the Brewers Association as uh, an accepted beer type. Uh, we've had uh, some New England IPAs, uh, at least one once before here, not from uh, Golden City. I think it was from New Terrain Brewing. Uh, this Firefly IPA is about 6.8% alcohol by volume and about 37 IBUs, but it's frankly got, I'd say, no bitterness at all. 
even though it's got some IBUs that are measurable because of the blend of the flavors. Very juicy, very fruity flavor, which is the thing with the New England IPAs. And they also have a very sort of smooth feel, and they tend to be a hazy beer. So there's the haze craze going on. Lots of people like the hazy beers these days. And that's the New England IPA, Firefly IPA, and I think it's an excellent beer. And um, I'm trying to think. Uh, One other thing, uh, I'm in the water business, and so at all of these different water conferences, there are consistently now beers that are brewed with recycled water. And in fact, they now have these beer recycling trailers that go, and they're making the water there, and they've got beer from like the previous uh, event that's uh, on tap. And so some of you will find these stickers uh, aged 4.6 billion years, because that's the water. And it's about quality water, not the source of the water. And lots of treatment can take very dirty water, make it very clean. So recycling of water is a coming thing, and lots of breweries have been getting involved in brewing beer from recycled water. So I'll just let you know it's a coming thing. I first ran across this about four years ago at a conference in Portland. They did it a couple of years ago. I did mention it here at Golden Beer Talks when uh, Governor Hickenlooper said, as he had a beer that was made from recycled water, he said, well... This is a water conference, and beer is mostly water. So, um, But you're going to see this coming uh, as we go forward, more and more recycled water. So anyway, with that, I am going to turn it over to our very special auctioneer, Jim Dale, who's going to auction off our very special tables. And thank you for being here at our fifth anniversary of Golden Beer Talks for the legendary Free Beer Night. I have been asked, what is a very special table? What is a very special table? (laughs) Well, it's very special. (laughs) Uh, So you get a little extra treatment. Um, You get a tablecloth, you get flowers, and you get served your food and your beer by the very hard people, either from behind the counter or more likely from Golden Beer Talks, because the bunch of us that put this on, eh, we put a little time into this. And... um, yeah, dinner for four, that's right. And drinks for four, I believe, or beer for four. So, very special table. It's a very nice thing. Uh, if I saw my spousal unit here, I believe we're going to have a very special table next month. So, all right. Yes, and Jim Dale, our very special auctioneer. And I'm going to go have a very special beer. And this is... Our only fundraiser. Only fundraiser. Only fundraiser. And, and this microphone's real good, so I'll, right? <laughs> yes. That blew my friend's ears off back there because I stood up by it. How many people can sit at the very special table that you guys are going to buy? Four. Four. How many meals do you get? Four. four. How many beers do you get? Well, you can buy more, but get four. Sometimes if you look sad, they'll give you more. So let's let's add that all together before we start. I mean, and there's 12 months in a year, and we have beer talks almost every month. Do we have beer talks every month? We have every month. So that means 12 of you can fist fight during this auction to get that table for four with a beautiful white tablecloth and flowers. Oh, gorgeous bouquet with a candle and a succulent food. And who will give me 
we'll just make it 20 bucks a head. Who can me $80? I want 80, 80, 80. I got 80 here. I got 85. I got 85, now 90. I got 90, now 95. I got 90 and 5 and 5 and 5. I got 90. Come on, wake up. I got 90, not 5. I got 95, now 100. I got 100 right here, 110. 110, now 20. 110 here, now 20 and 20 and 20 and 20. I got 120, now 125. I'll get you in cheap. 125, not 30. I got 125 over there and 30 and 30 and 30. I got 130 and 135. I got 130 over there now 5 and 5 and 5 and 5. I got 135 now 40. I got 135 now 40 and 40 and 40 and 140 now 145. 145 now 50. 145 now 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50. I got 100 and a half. 100 and a half now. 100 and a half. Give me 200. Nope. Oh. 100 and a half now. 100. 155, 155, Got 160 right here. Okay, 165. 160. Give me 165. 165? 165, now 70. I got 170. 170. 170. Now, 175. I got 170 over here and 5 and 5 and 5. I got 170 over here. Nobody back here is big. I got 170 over here. I need a nice round number, you know, paying 25s. I got 170 over here. Come on, 70. No, I got 175 over here. I got 175 over here. Woo! I'm going to sleep with her tonight. I got. Woo! I got 175. Give me 80. Well, she hadn't written the book either. So, now, here's what I'll do. I'll let anybody in for 175 now. Would you buy a table for 175? Yes. I got a second bidder. Would you guys get a table for 175? Yes. I got three. I got another table to get the six. See? Anybody else? For only $175. They might bring you a second. Would we bring them a second beer? Second round. Oh, yeah. We'd bring a second round. I got 175 to me. Oh, no. I got four tables. Can anybody else hang in there for $175? Go on once. Do you have a friend? Ask them to join you. Go on twice. Done. And now... Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Dale. Jim volunteers to help us with that every year, and he's so awesome. I wanted to give you a sense of what we do with that money. So we um, use that money to buy gifts to give to our speakers, and we invest it in sound equipment, and um, we podcast this stuff, so we have a soundboard, and we use it for stuff like that. But it's um, a pretty threadbare situation, and we appreciate the support. 
deeply. And tonight, we're using what we have left in last year's account to give you all free beer. So we just, we just shot the whole wad. <laughs> Next, we're going to bring up Don, who's on our Beer Talks crew. And before he gets started, I'm just going to introduce everybody in the room who does help organize this event. We all just do it for fun, and we volunteer together. And um, so I'm going to start over here with Don and Karen, and then Frank and his wife, Barb, my husband, Bart, Matt and Yoko aren't here tonight, but they are also on our committee, and their daughter Luna is behind the counter tonight. And then Deanne and her husband, the folks who own the Windy Saddle, are also on our group. So thank you very much for your support and your hard work. Go ahead, Don. Write checks to... Well, this is fun. I maybe we should have anniversaries every every month. So it's not Halloween, but it is the month of Halloween, and we wanted to pick an exceptionally spooky talk and have an exceptionally spooky person. Give it. <laughs> and when the evening is over, I, I hope you'll agree that we've succeeded on, on both counts. Um, despite all appearances, uh, our speaker tonight, Jim Reed, he's trainable and educatable. He holds degrees uh, from University of Wyoming and Washington University in St. Louis. Um, after which time he worked at a variety of places, including NASA and a variety of minerals exploration companies, before in 1983 uh, forming the, the company that he's uh, closely associated with, which is uh, Rockware. And he's the director of R&D at, at uh, Rockware. It's a geological software development company, and it, it's, it's uh, right here in, in Golden. It's about a block away from Natural Grocers on... East Street in a building full of extremely smart and hardworking people. Um, and they have a consulting company and office here in Golden and one in Lugano, Switzerland as well. And I would characterize uh, what they do in, in Rockworks as, as uh, high-performing uh, computer software for the geoscience community. But it's mostly geared, I think, towards um, smaller companies, uh, consultants, um, and uh, uh, other entities, uh, uh, government agencies, uh, who have budgets that are smaller than uh, big mining exploration companies or oil companies, uh, but that want that sort of functionality and computing power. So at this point, they have uh, over 30,000 individuals and universities and government agencies using uh, their software, and I'm, I'm one of those users as well. And just a point of interest to Golden residents here, we're proud that that um, we have not only Rockware, but if Rockware and the other Rockware employees will indulge me, um, a second uh, company that sells high-performing geoscience software uh, uh, is Golden Software, and they're both in they're both here in Golden, and they are both relatively small software companies that, as the saying goes, I think punch above their weight class. Um, and here we are at the base of the arch where the West lives, 
but it's not all cowboys and miners. I think you have to understand that, that there's high-tech software development being produced right here in our little town, and we ought to be very proud, of, proud that they're here. That's... That's Jim's day job, and that's just the boring part. I look around and I try to figure out why there are so many people here, and it's not because we have an anniversary, and uh, uh, it's, it's not because the beer is free, because we didn't advertise that. It's because homicide investigations is in the title of this talk. You're ghouls, all of you. So Jim's avocation is a volunteer with NecroSearch International, and it's a nonprofit organization that was founded to provide the international law enforcement community with scientific information and assistance in, in locating clandestine grave sites that are associated with homicides. And Jim is going to talk about how there's a wide variety of expertise, some of it is geoscience expertise, that's brought to bear um, on these sorts of investigations. And I want to just give you a little context to a tiny part of what Jim's going to talk about. We've all seen the signs, call before you dig. Okay. <clears throat> so let's call. What happens? Well, some people show up in white pickup trucks and hard hats, and pretty soon it's a cone zone out in front of your street. And then you look out there, and there are people taking gizmos out of the truck, and they're walking around on the street. Pretty soon there's spray paint over your yard and, you're, and over the street. And voila, you've, you've found the water line, you've found the gas main, um, and, and you're done. Well, what just happened there? Well, science fiction writer Robert Heinlein once famously said that any technology sufficiently advanced has the appearance of magic. And when you called before you dig, magic happened. Well, what is that magic? We humans are smart enough that we've developed techniques where we can remotely measure the physical properties of materials. We can measure density. We can measure magnetization. We can measure, uh, measure electrical conductivity. We can measure sonic velocity. That's the magic. Our ability to determine properties of material in the subsurface where we can't see them um, allows a lot of things. It allows us to locate our gas line. It's what allows oil and gas companies and mining companies to, to search for commodities like oil and gas, like precious metals. And in the case of what Jim is talking about, uh, it allows these measurements at a remote distance, along with many, many other types of analyses. Um, uh, he'll describe how those same types of techniques are used by NecroSearch uh, in the sorts of investigations that you see here. So, long introduction, but we're proud to have Jim Reed here uh, to talk to us tonight. Hi. Let's see. Let's get this show going. Um, step one is figure out how to press this. Oh, I, I went too far already. Um, okay. So, back in 1986, um, there, was, there were some murders out in eastern Colorado. Um, a guy named Mike McCormick and his dad, ranchers, figured out that uh, it was cheaper to go pick up indigents in downtown Denver, bring them out to their ranch, put them to work, and when it came payday, murder them and bury them. And now, as an employer, I think that's an okay idea. <laughs> but, 
but it's illegal. So, um, so a guy named Clark Davenport, a geophysicist, I can't pronounce it, one of them geo guys at Avasco at the time, um, he's watching the news. It's all over the news. And uh, he's saying, those idiots, they should, whoops, they're, they're saying, um, he's, he's saying they should, uh, they should use archaeology and geophysics. And his son says, Dad, why don't you either do something about it or shut up? So the next day, Clark goes to the office, calls the sheriff, uh, gets a surly receptionist. She, uh, and he, he gets frustrated and says, well, you just tell the sheriff. I have information that will help him find those bodies. And hangs up the phone, not thinking what he's just said. <laughs> so within a short period of time, he's surrounded by people with guns. And so they take him out to the site. And he meets a guy named Tom Griffin, a blood spatter specialist at the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, or CBI. They get to talk, and they meet up with a guy named Jack Swanberg, coroner from Douglas County. They go out to lunch, and NecroSearch was born. And the idea was very simple. When all else fails, when the psychics have given up, when, when the dowsers have given up, maybe this thing's science might work. And so... They started recruiting people, and within a, a very short period of time, they got about 50 members to join up of all sorts of different scientific disciplines. And then the next big event was in 88, a four-county uh, group of, of law enforcement um, agencies, sheriff's departments, contributed 40 acres to the group at, at the Highlands Ranch facility. We now have 40 acres there for research. The mission, and then the other event I almost forgot was in 2006, we started getting members of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, a federally funded group of retired uh, uh, homicide investigators, started joining the group. And we've now got, I think, six members on our board of directors. And so that's brought a lot to the group. But there are three primary mission or parts of our mission. Number one is research. We bury pigs. We've got about 33 pigs, including pigs in a blanket. And we, we, we monitor what happens to the ground over time. We provide training. We do a one-week class for uh, crime scene investigators. We'll, we'll spend half the day in the classroom, half the day out in, uh, in the field every day. We also provide assistance uh, where we'll go out to crime scenes and we'll actually assist law enforcement because most homicide investigators encounter one clandestine grave in their career. And the first thing that they do is they call the local university. And they're in the same boat. They've encountered one in their career, if ever. So we're trying to uh, provide some training there. It's multidisciplinary. It's voluntary. There's no pay. In fact, you end up digging in your own pocket quite a bit of the time. When we try to get reimbursed for expenses. And we only assist law enforcement. So if we're approached by family members, we'll refer them off to the local law enforcement. Now. There's a lot of different disciplines, and this is just a small sampling of them. But because of the time constraint, I'm just going to focus on the geology because that's, that's, I think geology is the mother science of all sciences, of <laughs> math, physics. Yeah, give it up for geology. So um, now, th this is Geology 101 for those of you geotypes, and I see quite a few in the group. Um, but basically, we're looking at geological engineering, hydrogeology, stratigraphy, geomorphology, pedology, geochemistry paleontology, and mineralogy. Now, I started thinking, I'm going to show all the different gizmos. The problem with the gizmos is they get dated, and you replace them. New technology comes along all the time. The real gizmo, the real technology, is the, are the, the electromagnetic and the phenomics, phenomen, that sound spectrum, um, in that if you think in, in those terms and say, okay, what are we looking for? Let's say it's a, 
uh, moist soil. How do you measure moisture in the ground? Well, maybe we could put a radio signal into the ground. And so I'll, I'll, I'll show you some examples of that. If we start out with um, how do you measure soil compaction? If you dig a hole and you backfill it, the, the volume of material because of expansion is not going to be the same. What are you going to do with that dirt? I'm not, even if you don't bury anything, just dig a hole and try to fill it back up to the same volume. It's not going to work. You're either going to overcompact it or you're going to undercompact it and end up with excess materials or with a depression. So how do you, how do you measure that compaction? You use a stick and, and you stick it in the ground. And if it's hard, then it's, it's probably overcompacted. If it's softer than the ground around it, it's probably undercompacted. Now, this gizmo here, that's a $2,600 stick. And what it'll do is it'll give you depth uh, in five centimeter increments and the amount of pressure that was required to get to that depth. So it's called a, a cone penetrometer. So if you plot that up in 3D and then slice it through it, make a computer model out of it and slice through it, you might be able to see where there's, there's some anomalies. By the way, Tara, that was with that data we gathered that one day out there. Um, and that's Curtis Hunsinger, uh, a 15-year-old victim of a pedophile named Steve Hash who just got released. Um, and he's in a redwood forest. That tree behind me in the upper picture is a, is a huge burned-out redwood. And I was amazed at how the root mass held his skeleton together. And in fact, his uh, tennis shoe is still there, a fanny pack is still there. And so that was um, a nice one with the penetrometer. The um, soil moisture, same idea. And anybody who's ever done any gardening or tilling, you want to increase the soil moisture. You want to aerate the soil. And if you do so, that's going to produce a conduit for either sur surface waters percolating vertically or groundwater uh, percolating either vertically or horizontally. And so you end up with more moisture, a sump there. Conversely, if you overcompact it, you're going to end up with a hydrologic barrier, a dam where the groundwater is going to flow around it. Either way, we're looking to see where things have been disturbed, and that's what we're going to see if we go over with a radio transmitter at one end of a stick and a radio receiver at the other end, put the signal into the ground, the energy uh, or goes into the air, into the ground, comes back out, and we're just moving around, you know, watching how it changes. And so these, well, we'll do it at multiple frequencies now. And then in this example here, there's, um, this was up in Maryland. We went over the site and discovered um, some real anomalies. We, we dug on those, and they turned out to be steel-belted tires. So after, after we actually, we only dug on one and said, we're not doing this again. And um, so we switched over to doing the, the inverse anomalies. And again, we don't know what we're looking at. We're just looking at, where is it strange? And so... Lo and behold, that was a uh, nitrous oxide deal gone bad, which I've never heard of such a thing. Um, now, everything is layered. And not to be gross, but there's a layer settling in this room right now. Our, our skin cells are about five days old. And so as that's settling down in the room, we're getting a layer of dust. And what we use to date layers are fossils. So if we're drilling for oil and gas, we might say, well, this given species had uh, existed between you know, 400 and 300 million years ago. And so we're looking, if we're looking to get into that rock, we might look for that index fossil. Well, if we're digging for a crime that was committed in 1974, I know if I hit a, um, an MP3, piece of an MP3 player, or a CD, or a cassette tape, or an 8-track, now we're getting into the 70s. <laughs> 
So these are called urbanites, these types of fossils. And it turns out there's a whole separate discipline of being able to date urbanites. If I find a piece of a Frito-Lay bag, well, the Frito's company has changed their design over the years, and it's really important to know what's going on there. So the idea is you land at the airport, meet the homicide detectives, because we're looking for the disturbance. I went too fast. We're looking for the disturbances in that layering as indicated by these index fossils. And then you go to Home Depot. Put together some PVC pipe, a little junction, get a, a, a metal dowel, go out there and push this thing into the ground. Push it down about five centimeters, take the dowel and push it out, and, and you start building up what's called a log, an actual sample log. Put that, uh, what your observations into a computer program, make a model, slice and dice through the model until you see where things are strange, where they've been disturbed, and then you start digging. So that's another example. Um, Anything, if you go out to a lake or a pond, um, magnetite as it's flowing through the water column and dust will start to turn towards north and then settle. And now north changes over time, um, slowly, but so that uh, uh, different layers, if you, if you know where it's pointing, you can figure out how old it is. And then also north flips with south periodically every 50, 70,000, irregular scale of north becoming south, south becoming north. But either way, you're messing with that. Or if you have a fire, that'll also reset the magnetization of the rock. So you go over with a gizmo called a magnetometer that measures that field, make a contour map of the magnetic susceptibility or the field strength, and then dig on it. Now that picture in the lower right corner is not a site. We've been working um, more of a historical site for the last five years in uh, Russia and that's uh, looking for the remains of Mikhail Romanov, who was the czar for a day after uh, uh, Nikola, or, uh, uh, the other czar was murdered. And um, so uh, this guy thought he found it, but it turns out to be a cannonball, probably from Napoleon's army, um, but uh, another, another false target. Now, there, the problem with those magnetometers is that if you st stick one in one place, there'll be a diurnal variation, a sine curve, because caused by the interaction of the Earth's magnetosphere and the sun and all this other stuff. And so uh, correcting for that is a real pain. So if you get one with two heads, it costs twice the money, um, and you, uh, you, you can, it'll automatically correct for that. So in this case, we're doing the Columbia River. A guy was picking up, that's his truck down there, um, was picking up trucks at the Costco in Portland, Oregon, and, uh, and hauling them away and selling them or whatever. And um, he went missing. He liked to carry big chunks of cash in his, in his open glove box and pick up hitchhikers. Um, and so, not a good idea. So he, um, the Coast Guard reports tires floating down the Columbia River. And this guy's gone, they can't find him. So they looked for a year, the Coast Guard, the police, the Sheriff's Department. We come in on a Friday night, have some beers, and, uh, and, and show up the next morning, put a wooden boom on a fiberglass boat, and go, went, start going up and down the Columbia. And it turns out what determines how far an automobile will go downriver is based on the, or the, the uh, trunk seal. Because the engine weighs the car down, the trunk seal determines how far downriver it's going to flow. And the Columbia is a big honking river, but in this case it's a pickup, so that was off. And um, so we got. A bunch of, so we, we, uh, we, we go up and down the river, we, we, we uh, contour the data that night, and it turns out um, we prioritized these anomalies. Um, anomalies one and two turned out to be on the, the bridge over to Vancouver. 
they, um, when they were done, or as they were constructing the bridge, they just took the, the empty spools of cable that made up the bridge and pushed them off. And then, um, so those turned out to be spools. We had two dive teams on Sunday. And then um, target number three, I was looking forward to finding out what four, five, six, and seven were, but we only got as far as three. And there's uh, a still articulated body inside the cab because a river like the Columbia at depth is a pretty anaerobic environment, an oxygen depleted environment. So you get uh, incredible preservation, especially held together by clothes. But this was kind of neat because they put a big cable on it, pulled it into the river. And I see this on the news as we're rushing to catch our, catch our flight on Sunday night. And I thought of that Clint Eastwood line where at the end of the movie, he said, what did you say your name was? And he said, I didn't. And I, I, I wanted to do that. So now I mentioned uh, now as opposed to the polarity of magnetite, anything that's layered is um, has that has different properties will produce a capacitance like a battery type. That's the principle of a, la a wafer battery is different uh, what they call dielectric constants between these layers. And the Earth is very much the same way. So you have flood deposits, wind-blown deposits. You get an alternating deposits. You'll get this capacitance. So what we do is we put a signal, a, a radio signal, into the ground, and then that charges up the material. And then, it, and then we measure the, the the strength of the discharge and the time duration of how long did it take to discharge that energy. Put it into a computer model, and we end up with ground-penetrating radar. And now this is one of the most oversold, overblown technologies out there, but it's still pretty cool. And so in this case, you can uh, different size antennas give you different depths, but different resolutions. You can have either depth or resolution. You can't have both. It's just, and that's life, I think. Um, and so um, in this case, I'll show you a, a more interesting case study. Um, in this one in uh, Phoenix, uh, these 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 two girl two women had gotten together, um, and they and their sisters said, "Remember when Mom left us in the middle of the night? Wasn't that the same night that Dad poured concrete out in the patio?" <laughs> so they contact law enforcement. They contact us. We go out with the radar, and this is very old uh, technology that we're using. But it turns out that um, this anomaly here that we saw coming off from the pool out to the uh, common area of the sewer line between the lots was uh, probably the drain pipe. It's four feet wide, the trench, the disturbance that was associated with putting that, that pipe in. And not only B, going to the hot tub is probably the power line going to the hot tub. It's very narrow, a foot and a half. But anomaly A turns out to be, as we broke up the concrete, the patio, and uh, dug down just a very short distance, um, there's mom, and she's still in the blue polka dot dress that her daughters remembered her wearing to church on Sundays. And she's got a nylon wrapped around her, her neck. So this guy thought he got away with it a long time ago. I forgot to mention, most of these cases are cold cases. Some aren't so cold. Um, metal detectors will, will frequently use to clean a site out because that magnetometer that I was showing you earlier on the gradiometer, um, that caused me to go and have some of my fillings replaced uh, with uh, porcelain, and you really want to demetallicize yourself as much as possible. So, um, very sensitive devices. And uh, so, we'll, we'll clean up a site from all sites are trashy. You can be the most pristine place in the world, 
and you go out with a metal detector and it's filled with trash. So we, we clean a site, but every now and then we get one, we got one coming up in two weeks that, uh, where they want to know about shell casings. In this case, this is just south of DIA. You've flown over this area. And um, farmer comes out in the spring, snow has just melted. Uh, there are these two bloated bodies. He wants to know how, or the police want to know, how were these people killed there? or were they killed elsewhere and then dumped out there in the snow that then melted? So given that the yellow flags are shell casings as determined by the metal detector and the, um, the, the red are bullets as detected by a different de detector, I think they were probably murdered right there on the spot. So, and by the way, that, guy, that entomologist, Tom Adair out there, he's catching flies. Anybody still eating? Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And he catches the flies, and he counts the flies, and he looks at the species. He examines them very carefully and their gender. And, and then he, um, he looks at the pupa, the eggs that have hatched, um, which are also known as maggots. And then he also looks at the carcasses left behind during the, the pupation uh, to fly stage. And looking at the species and so on, he can tell you exactly how long, not, not exactly, but he can tell you how long those bodies have been exposed to flies. So entomology isn't just gross, it's useful. Um, spe speaking of gross, landfills. Um, Lee Reed, who I've uh, referenced in this slide, has done over 400 uh, consulting either or, or, or supervised uh, searches at sites. Landfills are no longer big holes in the ground. They're mountains. So that big uh, Jesse Ventura mountain outside of DIA out there, that's a landfill. That's the tower, tower landfill, which we have actually searched for body, uh, for, on, on cases where we had reason to believe there was a body there. And um, they're uh, disgusting, dangerous environments to work in. But geologically, they're identical to prograding birdfoot deltas. So if you're out at the mouth of the Mississippi, all this, the muddy Mississippi is flowing down with all this mud in it, which is ground up rock and organic material, and it deposits in what they call a bird foot delta. And so think of those tipper trucks. They're going out on this platform, they're dumping out, and then the bulldozer comes in with more clay. And um, so it's, it's identical. If you've been to Moab or the, or the desert southwest and you've seen these four set beds in the sandstone, you've been to a landfill. It was just a landfill caused by sand dunes instead of uh, these trucks. And for fossils, we got mail. Mail shows you your address, and it shows the date. What more could you ask for? I mean, I've never seen a fossil with a date on it until, you know, seeing landfill stuff. So it turns out uh, Republic and Waste Management, the two biggies, um, the New York mob and the Chicago mob, and I mean that in a flattering sense, um, <laughs> They operate the land. They keep track of all this stuff. And so you can, they'll tell you which cell to dig in. So we pull out a cell uh, based on this of one of these four-set beds. And then we spread it out. And in this case, um, Summer Baldwin, um, we find her, and she's in that suitcase. On that suitcase, and this is a, a horrible place to work. Um, and plus, you could never, ever bring dogs out, cadaver dogs out there if you love your dog, and, um, which they all do. Um, anyway, we find Summer inside the suitcase. There's barcode on the suitcase. The barcode is traced back to Walmart. Walmart traces it back to the credit card of Rodriguez, the suspect. Slam dunk, you know, goodbye. You're, you're, you're going away. So landfills are, are, are very geologic. 
Side-scanning sonar. People like to throw dry bodies, you know, like, like I mentioned on the Columbia uh, cars, or just throw bodies into rivers and lakes and ponds. And so side-scanning sonar was developed by the Navy. It basically is, notice the little window along the side of that missile, that, that tor or that torpedo that you tow behind a boat. It shoots out a signal, and then uh, the, the signal bounces back. You build an image as you're moving through the water. That gizmo weighs about 100 pounds, takes two guys to really lift it. Good luck trying to get this onto an airplane. You know, this, this, you say, well, it's just a sidewinder. Um, well, it turns out you can go and buy one of these suckers at Cabela's. They call them fish finders. And for $2,600, you can get something that is much better technology from this. You'll have no problem getting it on a plane. It's light, it's cute, it's nice, and it doesn't cost 20 grand. So they've really come a long way with that. And also, there I am on the, Miss the Missouri River uh, with a strip chart recorder. Now you, you can take like a little shot. You can social it. You can email the pictures off to somebody if you want to. So the technology has been fantastic. Speaking of incredible changes in technology, LIDAR. LIDAR is the hottest thing right now in all of technology. Um, it's, it's what drives these autonomous cars where you've got a laser that's scanning and moving and then you couple it with, with a, a multi-spectral camera so you can start seeing the, you know, the color and build a, a three-dimensional point cloud of reality. That's how I see you all right now. <laughs> and so it's, um, the USGS has been using this stuff forever. They were the pioneers in airborne, or satellite and airborne-based LIDAR looking at big slump features, changes over uh, short periods of time. But now you can go out and you can buy a drone for $6,000 you can have a drone that will do LIDAR on a site. And this is, this is change in law enforcement because if there was a crime in this room right now and I set up a LIDAR unit, or I, I set up a surveying unit, a total station, you know, give me a few weeks, everybody stay still, and, 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 and we'll get this crime scene mapped. Give me a LIDAR unit and I'll have it done in 30 minutes. So it's um, just, oh, I forgot the, the, that example. Um, let me go back. Th this is a, a site where you're seeing half uh, basically half an inch contour intervals of subsiding graves at a mass burial site in Brooklyn, New York from the Revolutionary War from 1775. Um, desiccation, cracking. If you know you see when mud when, when mud dries it forms poly polygons, forms the, these these distinctive cracks. Well a um, I, I'm going to get these reversed. There's like a Hindi father, his daughter, in, in the UK, with our sister organization, they, um, uh, her, his daughter fell in love with a Muslim boy or vice versa, but he went ballistic. He went temporarily insane, killed her, and buried her in the crawl space. But he was temporarily insane. Well, the geologist there had the wherewithal to take samples of the soil, because they noticed mud cracks in the base of the grave, and they photographed them, mud cracks. They took samples. They sampled, samples took seven to 10 days to dry, seven to 10 days. So that's the difference between premeditated and uh, murder and, and uh, temporary insanity. Now, in some states, I won't name any like Texas, that's the difference between a country club, six months in a country club, uh, you know, psych center, and going to a special table where you never wake up um, from what they give you. So some of the others I'll just gloss through because I'm running on, I've got eight minutes. Uh, so um, some of the other uh, disciplines, uh, geochemistry. Well, this is a laser that shoots down, hits a mirror, and bounces back, and then there's ports. So as you're driving along, gases are coming in. So you can quickly go over with a four-wheelie 
and sample and look for uh, decomposition gases. And this is a case up by Empire where um, we got uh, some, some real strong hits from the cadaver dogs, went out and, and dug, uh, put in perforated PVC pipe, brought the dogs back, contoured uh, the dog excitement levels, isowags, um, based on you know, smelling these columns, and then and dug. And we found uh, the victim's tank top, as identified by her sister and mother, um, in between where the, where, the anomaly where the anomaly stopped, and then we got kicked off the site by the sheriff, and I don't know what was going on there. Um, mineralogy, the Coors kidnapping. It's close to home here, just, just down there. They tracked his car from New Jersey, the suspect's car, back to the Morrison Formation based on feldspars. So that, it, it really does work. Image differencing. Um, this is hard to see, but I, I, in one of our classes, I stood behind a flagpole, had him take a picture of me, then I moved, took another picture, subtracted the two pictures, and there's a picture of just me and the part of the flag that had moved when I brushed against it. So in the Mojave Desert, we take a before and after picture, trying to bracket as close as we can to the, to the date of, of disappearance, and then start digging, and lo and behold, there she is. In uh, the case of mining communities like you know Central City, Black Hawk, Idaho Springs, the inclination is to throw somebody down a mine shaft. Well, most of us geotypes like to go in mine shafts and explore them, and so this was one from um, just uh, east of Burbank, out in the desert, and. Um, Car dealer had killed his partner and the partner's wife and the partner's kid. Repelled on the mine shaft, uh, found the kid's bloody pajamas over a stole. My air detector starts screaming at 20 feet below me. I chicken out, come back up. They actually got a conviction off, off the bloody pajamas, the DNA off that. So um, now before I get into computers, I want to have a really gross picture because I want to show you that there are things that are grosser than computer stuff. But um, basically the idea, my passion is to take all these different data sets, computerize them, turn them into numerical models, just like a digital picture, and then do the statistics on them to look for what's weird, give them weighting factors based on the reproducibility of that data, and then dig. And boy, that's a, a, big that's a blurry slide. Um, now, the caveat of this kind of statistical approach is that we can't find bodies in cemeteries, because that's background, that's normal. Um, we also can't find small objects. Like in this case, that foot took us six and a half hours to dig that foot out. It was just attached to an ankle. Somebody was dismembered and very unhappy. Um, now this is, uh, I wanted to uh, uh, give one final example of, of a case from last year. This is up in Greeley, Tina, and John Sandoval. Um, there's obviously a big time difference between these two shots. But uh, they're getting divorced. And she tells her best friend, if I don't show up tomorrow morning, call the cops. So her friend calls the cops. And um, they, uh, and this is, um, this is not going to start for me. This is supposed to be a video that I will try to find, try to make it go. Whoops, nope, not going to go. Sorry, guys. It's going? Ah, thank you. You've done this before. Um, this computer stuff, but it's not playing. It's, oh, there we go. Wait, wait. I, play for me. Play. Well, darn. It's a time. Actually, I've got a. Uh, um, I've got it right. Uh, if I had my glasses, I'd be able to. There you go. Okay. So, time lapse photography. Um, 
he had worked at the cemetery two years beforehand, uh, before she disappeared. And um, so there were three graves open on the night that she disappeared. We go out with the radar, uh, do the graves, find one that's anomalously deep. And so the next day we have, um, I find the, the guy who was buried on top, a World War II veteran, got his family in there and had an honor guard or a color guard ceremony. Really, police was really classy. I went out that night to auger a hole to get a, a soil column in between graves um, to calibrate the radar. And a lady came out while I was doing this, and I pretended to be adjusting the sprinklers. Um, <laughs> so I didn't appear like some ghoul in the dark. Um, so here comes the honor guard. So uh, we remove the, um, the, the big concrete shell that they put on top of coffins, remove the coffin, remove the base plate that's below the coffin, and then um, uh, jump down back in the grave and uh, did the radar there. And it turns out that one side of the radar, running on the center, that the eastern side, that end over here, was disturbed whereas the western side was undisturbed. And that um, explains where he put the dirt. Because if he put the dirt up on the ground, they would have known the next day when they did the burial, the ceremony, that somebody's been messing around here. It also explained why he was found with a level in his car. Because he knew if it was unlevel, then it wouldn't work out. So um, in a second here, you'll see the radar profiles. So there's uh, disturbance here. This is nice, contiguous layers here. This is a layer beautiful gravel right along the top um, that I remember with that auger just stopped me dead cold and um, so we got tired we, we brought in the back hole and scraped off a little bit more and then um, once he's done we went back to hand digging there's a Diane Francis there in the end um, she's probably the world's premier forensic anthropologist she's digging away and as soon as she found plastic right there with, with the uh, there was no odor here by the way with uh, duct tape wrapped around it, that's when the coroner jumps in. That's now he wants in on it, along with his incredible butt crack that ruined all my videos. <laughs> so, just, uh, oh, there it was. Oh, God. Uh, so, um, anyway, so we, we, we dug her out and then uh, lift her up with, with these uh, moving cables and then passed her off to the coroner. He, he cut open the, um, uh, the thing, and, and that's when the odor started, and that's when I left to go have a cigar. And, um, and then uh, from there, uh, they, they whisk off the body. They're, our job is done, and, um, and we go back to where we were. So to get back to, I'll just uh, manually pull up the slide. In terms of recruiting, how am I, am I over? Oh, okay, okay, great, okay, great. I'm gonna leave out the fowls and talk really fast. Um, I'm also here to recruit. Because um, uh, there's some science here, I can see it. You got that science vibe. Um, if you got something to offer, this is pretty cool. Um, what I, now, and I can't say what you'll enjoy, but I can tell you what I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed the field science, the exploration, the gizmos, the um, providing closure for families was something I never understood until people started hugging me in courtrooms, and uh, that was that was a, a surprise. I like. I've always been afraid of the boogeyman, and those are six people that I personally think I've had something, a tiny part to do with either their death or incarceration. Um, the uh, countering the CSI effect. For those of you who were in Jurassic Park when it first came out, and they shot off the micro seismic, and you saw the perfect Velociraptor skeleton up on the screen, if you heard a groan in the theater, that was a geophysicist going, "Oh, come on. <laughs> and, and so, um, and juries these days will because they watch all these CSI shows, 
they'll ask these ridiculous questions of, to the prosecutors of the homicide detectives. They don't know what they're talking about because they've been watching TV. So um, the acting in, the, uh, in court, in the drama, or in the field, in the court, that's kind of fun. Because if you pretend you're, you're, you're an expert, um, after like 20 years, all of a sudden one day you wake up and say, oh, I, I guess I am an expert. <laughs> and so it's uh, uh, learning by faking it. Here's historical curiosity. That's me with more hair holding Tsar Nicholas's skull. Got a nine millimeter hole right here. The desiccated brain is still inside it. You can do a Romanov rumbo with it. And, um, uh, and, then, and then, you know, I got an ego. I like seeing myself on the news. Now, in terms of um, going to the, the final slide, I need to be, to be fair, I need to give a disclaimer say what I have not liked, what caused me to resign from the group for a couple of years before I realized I couldn't live without it, and that is, I hate tweakers, meth heads, dirt balls, uh, they're all the same. This particular one uh, messed me up. Uh, a guy went to the victim's mother in the middle of the night, she was also a tweaker, and said, hey man, I'm sorry, I killed your daughter while I was raping her, can I use the van to get rid of her body? Her reply, her reply, a mother, was clean it up when you're done. And that messed, messed me up. That was the sign she left for us when we came in with the task force. I met that guy, not Anthony Hopkins, um, but I met somebody much worse. I met that guy. And I'm not going to say his name because I know you podcast this. And right now we're doing a plea bargain with him. He's got... He's in for four homicides now. We think he may be, have, have killed up to 16 women. And, uh, and his, they threatened him with the ultimate punishment, the most inhumane, cruel punishment you could possibly impose on somebody. They're going to take away his Internet privileges for two weeks. And he's, he's, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna listen to this because he's my groupie. And I, I'd love to, I've asked him if I can go to his execution, and he agreed. So if you ever, But that, that, that stuff will mess with you. I mean, look at me. So, hi, Mike. Hi, Cheryl. So, you've come at the best part. So, that's it. And um, so now. Thank you very much. And if you get a chance to bus anything that you have sitting on your tables on the way out, there's bins over there. Thank you. All right, Jim. Sure. Yeah, what, what did I talk about, huh? huh? So, you can call on so, people. So, yeah, spot questions. Anybody got any questions or complaints? Any of you got any questions about joining or, or, or participating or, or volunteering? So, yes, no, no, no. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the, the question was, is there a chance we'll find Al Capone? Um, I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know where Machine Gun Kelly is. And he's a lot just south of the Strip in Reno. And you can find, um, and we, we've been working on that one a little bit. And the deal is that if we do find him, we have to do the ballistics. I get to use his 45 Thompson, which is in the, at the Sheriff's Department, go out in Lake Tahoe and shoot uh, floating watermelons. So that, that's the cost we've added to that project. But, but we did find Tammy Baker. I mean, or Tommy, I, mean we find, I, I just messed my joke up. <laughs> No, yeah, we did find the transposed punchline of finding uh, Jimmy Hoffa under Tammy Faye Baker's makeup. So. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So, 
Any other questions? Or Yes, sir. Um, along with DNA, leaving our DNA as we walk into the room and leaving our microbiome from our intestines and our skin and hair and eyes um, also is falling off of it. And now they're talking about, along with DNA, using microbiome because each of us have a unique, specific microbiome, and it also identifies our pets and our some of our diet and lifestyle and stuff like that. So is there organizations or people or experts that you worked with that have studied the microbiome? Yeah, and, um, and just to give a disclaimer, on television, um, 100% of cases are solved before the last commercial <laughs> with, with, with DNA. And, um, and so whereas in real life, 6% of the cases are solved with DNA. So I think as far as taking it to the next level of, of really looking at some of the, the more exotic versions of, of gut flora, fauna, and, and skin cells, and all this kind of stuff, I still think we're a long way away. We're probably 20 years, I'm being pessimistic, away from having that kind of thing. And it's also very expensive, and there's a huge turnaround time. And so right now, everybody is, you know, let's solve this case right now. And so it's, um, we don't, the short answer to your question is we don't do much. We don't do anywhere near as much as we used to do in the old days. And that was with just plain old um, serology of having uh, blood type, uh, semen type, um, you know, urine, uh, body fluids, the gross stuff. That was so quick and so fast with just little, you know, pH tests and stuff that they could come up with with, with uh, blood types like that. Now DNA, you got to send it off to a reputable lab. And so it's, it, it actually kind of is a step backwards, or at least where we are. But still, DNA has been as, as important as to, to biotypes as LIDAR has been to the geotypes. So, uh, but. Yes, sir. Yeah, the, the first geologist to identify, the question is about dirt in shoes. The first geologist to identify that was Sherlock Holmes. I can tell by your shoes from, your, from Lanchester's Constabulary by the red tone of the such and such. Now, I know Sherlock Holmes was made up, but Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was not. And basically, if you really wanted to point to somebody and say, who invented forensic geology, it's Conan Doyle. He, he really was the one who did it. But as far as, like, cleaning out, um, give me your floor mats of your car. Go have it detailed. Give me your floor mats from your car. I'll take them up to somebody at mines here, and I'll tell you where you've been. It's uh, they're, they're very unique soils all over the place. So absolutely. Yeah. You have another? Or, so, yes, sir. So this um, fancy pants geological software that you have something to do oh, with. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, so does he. <laughs> um, are there times where you have, I mean, you showed lots of pictures where you made models or something. Do you present any of that to the police investigators or in court? Or, or do you yeah, 100% of the time. Um, that's what I'm, uh, and, and there's actually changes that we've made to the software to accommodate the forensic applications. I'm not, I try to kind of downplay that. Um, that it's, it's really made for the money markets. Um, but, yes, absolutely, we'll, um, uh, especially in terms of, of court. 
court, if you go into court thinking you're walking into a hall of justice, <laughs> how naive you are. Um, it's theater. And you want to go in with some pizzazz, some sexy eye candy graphics and all that stuff. So the more of that you can have, the more you can intimidate the opposition. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. And so in terms of creating animations and videos, it's really, really important, which also ties in with uh, you know, what, what pays the bills. So absolutely, thank you. That was a plant question. Thank, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for that. So. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. It's um, where you've got uh, uh, conditions are so horrible that you can't, it's just impractical to do it. And the most common one is uh, foundations. Somebody's getting ready to do a pour. We just had one at, I think, Santa Barbara University there. A uh, young lady was, was murdered. Um, they uh, were pouring the next day. A construction worker went out and uh, dug below the footer wall. They poured. We go to the university and say, hey, we need to destroy your new science lab or whatever. And they're saying, no way. Um, Chatfield Reservoir, guy killed his wife, put her in the dam. She's there. She's absolutely there. So, uh, yeah, we're saying it's under, under Tammy Faye Baker's makeup. So, um, but, yeah, that's very frustrating. You know, statistically, too, I should point out that our, our success rate is about 1 in 50. One in 50. So, I mean, look at me. I've, I've been with the group 35 years, found six bodies personally. That's pretty bad odds. But then again, those are, um, on, on a given case, we might be brought out to 10 different sites. On some of these, these names you've heard over time, you know, Cher Elder, Beth Miller, et cetera, the, the, the young lady in Pueblo. I've worked, the one in Pueblo, 14 different sites when they get different information. Now, when we get good information, about where, where the body might be, our success rate's 100%. You know? So, but it's, typically, I, I have, I'm starting to tell people one in 50 because part of our task is to decrease expectations, you know, make people real because TV is, is really uh, messing with a lot of heads out there. So, yes, sir. What happens is, um, Somebody, uh, a homicide investigator will contact us and we'll say, uh, fill out this questionnaire. It's very long, detailed. It's designed to filter out people who aren't willing to do their, their homework, like timelines. And then uh, we'll get together, look, review it as a group. We have monthly meetings. And then we'll invite them to come give us a presentation either in person or by a, a go-to web-type meeting. And, um, and then we'll vote. on, on uh, and, and usually we always vote yes to do it. But then we'll start looking at whose expertise would be appropriate for this case. And sometimes it's, it has nothing to do with geology. It might be behavioral psychology. We, we do a lot of that in the group. But it's law enforcement. It has to be law enforcement, yeah. Because if your child goes missing, within, tw within hours, within hours of your child missing, you will be contacted by psychics. I know where your daughter is. You'll be contacted by dowsers. I can find your daughter with my stick. Um, not that I have an opinion of them. Um, totally unbiased. Um, but if it's not reproducible, it's bunk. 
Um, that applies to even sci scientific methods or technological methods. But basically, that's why we can't answer to families. And that hurts a lot of the time. When somebody's, when you're talking with a lady who's, who's crying, um, that one I mentioned in Pueblo uh, a few weeks ago, I'd been avoiding the mother of this, the, the victim, for, and she was out at the site, which I hate, because we're out there having a great time, working our tails off. She shows up, and I'm avoiding her all day. And then finally somebody said, you got to go meet her. So I was trying to think about lines. So she starts to shake my hand. I said, um, I know who you are. I interrupted her, but while she's introducing herself, I said, you're the woman with the spine of steel. And she started crying. And I thought, oh, that, that worked. Um, so before the end of the day, she was actually helping. And, um, and then her, later her husband showed up, and I was so proud of myself. Um, she, I overheard her telling her husband, she said, look, honey, this is the Fort Hayes member of the Niobrara Formation. Where all the, uh, yes. So, um, so I've changed my tune a lot about that. I used to say no family members, and I'd, I'd make up bogus stuff about, well, it interferes with the electromagnetic field if we have family in, in the area. So, but, but it's strictly through law enforcement that we have to do it. If the yeah the, we um, it's all through word of mouth and um, uh, I don't know if you saw that one slide but there's a lot on the web about us but um, usually it's through word of mouth that l some law enforcement investigator will hear about us that they somebody went to our class and then um, beyond that if they don't have any money which they never do that's where that group NECMEC comes in if the victim is under 18 NECMEC picks up the bill and they'll show up with federal money. And, and really do it right. So that, that's part of why that's such a, a special relationship for us. But other times, there are grants. There are all sorts of, the Department of Justice will give out grants to uh, smaller law enforcement communities. So we're, we're very much in the small law enforcement. And for those of you who think small law enforcement, and you think, um, you know, it's, it's uh, Mayberry, Barney Fife, and, and uh, the sheriff. Uh -uh. I've been amazed how many western towns I go out to, and you think you're going to encounter some clown, and instead it's somebody who was a top-notch homicide investigator in, 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 in the Northeast in Boston, decided to kind of retire, go out and be the sheriff of a little podunk county. These people have world-class homicide experience, so I, I don't assume anything. But we had one up in, was it, Kimball, Nebraska, and um, uh, mom, single mom, um, dated the town butcher, this kind of gross, um, and uh, her kid disappeared. So I'm talking to him on the phone. What would you do? We sealed off all the sewer lines coming out of the house. We've, we've checked all the dumpsters in the entire town. They found his mail and the kid's clothes. They found the rest of the kid in, um, in part of the sewer line, and, and the other part, gross, was in the refrigerator. So um, marinating, which was, I mean, this is... Yeah, this is worse than reality. I mean, reality is more disgusting than, than fantasy. So, but those ones are, are few and far between. So, any other, any other gross questions? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're in Jefferson County. I heard that's the most popular place to find bodies in Colorado. I'm sorry, where? Or Jefferson County? Yeah, Jefferson County has its share. I mean, Jefferson County, first of all, is huge. And then in terms of demographics, it's incredibly diverse. And so, uh, ranging from the crimes of passion of the affluent to the crimes of drugs of the non-affluent,
But yeah, Jefferson County has its fair share of crime. But um, everybody, every place does. Every little, every idyllic town in the West, or throughout the country, that you think there's, God, isn't this a nice place? There's always a little meth element. And I can't say enough bad about meth because it really does destroy the sense of right and wrong. But, um, but I don't mean to upset your sense of reality because, or your, your sense of security, ever since the CDC started measuring violent crime statistics, they have been going down. You won't know this. Now, there's, there's aberrations of school shootings and stuff, but I'm talking about this gross stuff. Well, the problem is nice stories don't sell news. The news is all about fear, culture of fear. Why you should be afraid, turn on at 9 and watch the news. And so, but the fact is, it's a much safer place to live. And with technology and groups like this, it's getting harder and harder to commit these horrible, heinous crimes with, and, and still get away with it. So the world is actually getting safer, or at least our world is getting safer all the time. And I can't stress that enough because I don't mean to bum people out. It's, uh, and, and you can help to make it safer. So, no, I'm sorry, you had a question? As far as we know, we're the only non-profit, non-paid outfit. There are other organizations. Um, some of them, uh, one of them, that, uh, I'll mention them by name, called uh, Equus. And they come at it with the same angle that we do. And they're wonderful, caring people. And uh, they seem to work really hard. And then you get a bill. The family gets a bill afterwards, which I thought is, is horribly unethical. And I hope that someday we can dig them up. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Not, not that I have an opinion. So, yeah, yes, sir. No. Well, the question was: Have we been supported by the Fall Group or, or SPIR? Small Business Innovation. Thank you. Yeah, we can use. We'll get uh, periodically. People will out of the blue. Some lady just sent us $20,000. And um, so we get private donations. And, and, and from time to time, like if one of us has a, a windfall of any kind, we'll, we'll usually donate to the group. But, uh, but no, we've never gotten any of, well, I take it back, Douglas County, Arapahoe County, they have, they've given us some stuff. So thank you. Yeah, well, yeah be right, you got cash? So uh, I'll take it right now. <laughs> So, yeah. so, by the way, we also, in terms of, of a hole in the group right now, a fund writer, somebody who has experience in, 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 in uh, seeking out grants, would be a very welcome addition to the group. So, uh, but we're still, we're making it. Everything's fine. So, but we could always use more. So, any other questions? Yes, sir. This is the last one. Okay, last one. Better be good. Yeah, no, no. Gr ground penetrating radar is um, is best coupled with electromag. Like I'm I'm leaving town tomorrow to do a site where we'll start out with the electromag, and then we'll look at the anomalies we get off that, and then we follow up with with the radar. And if the two agree, that's great. If they agree with the cadaver dogs, that's even greater. If they agree, you know, on and on. So it's very much if the botanists say, yeah, that there's an opportunistic species that's taken advantage here then we get really excited. But ground penetrating radar in and of itself 
is horrible. So I start out, when I'm doing a, a demo, I say, this is a piece of garbage, but it's better than nothing. And that's the way to think about all this technology. It's this much better than nothing. And when combined together, a lot of better than nothings can add up to uh, a conviction and a discovery. So that's my last that's awesome. question. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for celebrating with us.